Welcome to the Canine Classroom, a podcast for dog owners, professionals, and sports enthusiasts where we discuss training, behavior issues, sports, and everything in between. We're three friends and colleagues who share a passion for dogs, and although we have many similarities, we also have many differences in our training styles and the methods we practice. We're here to have open conversations, ask questions, get answers, as well as hear from colleagues and experts in the industry. So take a seat and get your notepad out because class is in session. Hi everyone, welcome to the Canine Classroom. I'm Anthony DeMarinas. I'm here with Vinnie Viola, Stephanie Rayner, and a very special guest. We got a real treat. We have Michael Shikashio here with us. Hello. Hello, hello. What's going on, guys? How you doing? Pretty All good. Well. Yeah. All good. <laughs> we got Mike here in the hot seat tonight. Dun dun dun. So we're uh what are we talking about? We're gonna talk about some fun things. We're gonna talk about Lima a little bit. Uh, least intrusive, minimally aversive, and what that framework or what that topic is. So um, before we go into that, let me introduce Mike. So Michael Shikashio is the founder of aggressivedog.com and focuses on teaching other professionals from around the world on how to successfully work aggression cases. He is a five-term president of the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants, the IABC, and was the Association of Professional Dog Trainers, APDT Member of the Year in 2020. Michael is sought after for his expert opinion by numerous media outlets, including New York Times, New York Post, Fox News, The List TV, Baltimore Sun, WebMD, Women's Health Magazine. Ooh, there's a lot more guys, hold on. Real Simple (laughs) Magazine, Sirius XM Radio, the Chronicle of the Dog, and Steve Dale's Pet World, and now the Canine Classroom, my friends. Uh, <laughs> he, is also, uh, he also hosts the popular podcast show, The Bitey Under the Dog, where he chats with, the, uh, with experts on dog aggression. He also has been featured as a keynote speaker at conferences, universities, and seminars in more than 200 cities and 14 different countries around the world and offers a variety of educational opportunities on the topic of canine aggression, including the Aggression in Dogs Master Course and the annual Aggression in Dogs Conference. Is there anything else you want to add to that long laundry list there? (laughs) I've got to do a podcast bio. I've got to show that, obviously. (laughs) Well, thank you for coming on here. So this, I think, is going to be a spicy conversation. That's what I think. I could be wrong, but I think this will be fun. Interesting choice of words. (laughs) Spicy. (laughs) Vinny and I use that word all the time. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so why don't we talk a little bit about like what um, Lima stands for least intrusive, minimally aversive, because I think this is a really interesting and uh, good topic to talk about because we hear this topic in dog training and the dog training industry a lot. And I think 
some of us belong to organizations that uh, that ascribe to this or, or follow this concept or framework, but maybe to a certain degree or an extent, or maybe we don't understand it to a degree uh, to all of its degrees. And there's a lot of gray area with it. So I think maybe starting off kind of just explaining a little bit of it, breaking some of it down first might be good. Yeah, I think it'd be fun to jump into the history of Lima, right? And um, sort of how it came about. I, I've, I, I believe the original iteration came from Stephen Lindsay. Uh, at least uh, he's been given credit for it in the Applied Handbook, um, that the the volumes of Applied Handbook that he's written, uh, and it's so that he's kind of given the original credit for that acronym, least intrusive, minimally aversive. There's another sometimes referred to as least invasive, minimally aversive, but I believe the truest form is least intrusive. Um, and so it's interesting how it's adapted. It's been adapted and evolved over the last decade or so, or even more longer than that now. And some organizations have adopted it. And I was actually part of when I was president of the IAABC, we were working on uh, the iteration that the IWBC wanted to adopt. And just as I was, I was kind of wrapping up my, or uh, retiring as <laughs> my presidency there, I had been there president for five years. And so I was kind of leaving right about the time that the organizations were getting together. So the CCPDT and the APDT also got together with the IWBC to issue a joint statement, sort of right on the cusp of that, but part of it at the same time. Um, and it's interesting to see how it's evolved because it's changed from Stephen Lindsay's initial iteration. Um, and if you look at sort of the IACP website, you can see um, them mentioning some of the initial iteration and you can find it in his applied handbook as well. And then if you go to the APDT or IWBC websites or the CPDT website, CCPDT website, you can see uh, different iterations as well. So it's evolved and adapted and changed depending on the organization's needs. Um, and it's interesting because it's it's born i think out of all of the trainer wars and the needs that that and the need to um you know look at what we're doing with dogs in terms of the methods and techniques and it's also i think been influenced by human psychology so you've seen some models of hierarchies in terms of uh behavior change strategies and protocols it's uh, there's a lot of human models that look at hierarchies if you look at the humane hierarchy as well so i'm what sort of adapted from ABA and human psychology. So, so long-winded answer for where the history is, but I thought I would give a little yeah, bit of kind of I, where I'm coming from in that. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think it's important actually, because you brought up a few good points. I think it's important. And the reason that I wanted to bring this topic up tonight is because there's maybe the original version of it from Dr. Stephen Lindsay, and then there's the updated or more modern version from what a lot of the organizations like the IABC and, and CPDT and APDT have kind of adopted or adjusted. And I think it's just interesting because you can have people in, we'll say different categories or trained with different methodologies who may say that they believe in using Lima or they follow a Lima approach. However, that could be two different things that could be, you know, one type of trainer might be following maybe Dr. Stephen Lindsay's model and, and someone else may be following um, one of the other organizations models that that is maybe more updated today. Yeah, I think it's, um, and it's, 
the different models are again reflective of the organization's interpretation of it mm -hmm. and that also kind of shows you an interesting point is that it really is adaptable to the needs of either the organization or the individual looking at it because there it's actually not easy to interpret if you're especially if you're first starting out in training or maybe yeah. it is in some ways but it's i think confusing a little bit at first especially if you start to see it in different places you're like wait a second if you go to this site it means one thing and that site means another thing so um but what i like what's been born out of it is getting the whole training community to kind of think about Hey, what can I do? That's going to be least intrusive. What's going to, what's going to be kinder, gentler, uh, more positive reinforcement based, at least in most interpretations that I see. Um, I think that's been a great, great aspect of, of this, this whole hierarchy or the Lima discussion coming into the dog training community, whether regardless of which, um, organization is adapting it. Right. Yeah. And I think it's also good because uh, that you bring that up because I think the other thing is, is it becomes, or it allows you to be a more objective or critical thinker when you're looking at the case in front yeah. of you as, yeah. as an individual case. I think that sometimes I think certain uh, communities maybe don't like Lima because they feel it's getting into the more balanced community or something like that. Um, that's what it's labeled as or identified as I, I feel like in certain situations, because there is, as you said, there's a lot of, there is a lot of gray area because it provides you some wiggle room with being able to determine in certain situations, how maybe you need to address a, a specific case. Yeah. There's a lot of politics behind it as well. Yes. I yeah. think. And um, yeah, and there's Which a lot is part of, of the problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that, yeah, it is. It certainly is a part <laughs> of the problem and, and the guilt by association aspect too. So now that, uh, you know, anytime another camp adopts a acronym or a term or, you know, a word, then if you start to use that word and you get, it sort of becomes associated with that particular camp. Mm -hmm. So I think what's also happening is that, um, some folks that are looking at other organizations suddenly adopting this, they're like, wait a second, now this particular camp is using it as an excuse. Or So I've seen a lot of those arguments as well, uh, which is a shame because again, it just creates more divisiveness uh, when we're all trying to kind of come up with a concept to say, hey, what can we do that's going to be least invasive? What's what was going to be less aversive or minimally aversive if we already use that term? And that's there's, on a side note too, that's another interesting thing. A lot of folks were trying to even get rid of that aspect of it. So minimally aversive assumes you're going to eventually use an aversive at some point because, but all, albeit being minimal. Uh, so there was, there was discussion around that. I remember as well. Um, so yeah, lots of, lots of, um, I don't know, lots of, I think with the adaptation of it for, from all the organizations or really a lot of trainers knowing about it more, we've seen, I think it's been creating more divisiveness, unfortunately. Which is sad, I think. And many or stuff you guys could do. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I think, say, I think it's actually interesting that it is accepted by both groups. And just in case someone's just checking in, obviously we're talking about like force-free and then balance. I think it's interesting that both sides adopt it. And I think the reason for this conversation, I think we're trying to clarify some stuff about it because I feel like depending on how you look at it, 
both sides can use it to their advantage. So a force free person could say, oh, you just put a choke chain on your dog. But like, did you try this, this and this? But then a balanced person could say, I tried this, this and this. That's why I have to use this now. You know what I mean? And then I think, you know, what I'm trying to get to the bottom of is how much time, like what is at stake, yeah. right? Is it that you tried something for five minutes, five months, five years? Like where, where do we draw the line where we say, okay, let's move up this ladder, right? And then to the balance community side, they might say something like, well, with certain tools, like say a crate, like, do you wait for your dog to like pee on your bedroom floor in the middle of the night to then start using a crate? Or do you just say, you know what? I'm going to crate train my puppy as soon as it comes home. You know, so that's kind of what I'm thinking. I think it is interesting and maybe why it should be something that both sides focus on because there are aspects of it that both sides yeah. seem to pull from. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, I think it's it's widely known to be like competence-based, right? So depending on how, you, how long you've been training for and your experience with tools, that's going to dictate how much you're going to shift around that Lima scale. Because let's say you only know two tools. Let's say I know how to use treats in an e-collar and that's it. And I, I don't really know much. I just started out, right? I watched a couple of webinars or something gave out a few business cards. Now I'm out there with treats and an e-collar. And so your, your Lima scale might be, okay, I'm either going to use treats at first and then maybe jump to an e-collar. And that's all I know at that mm -hmm. point. And, and that happens, right? And everybody kind of goes through that journey in their learning process, but then there's nuances, right? So the, in, the example you were giving Vinny, like using a crate, for instance, that requires some critical thought and some more understanding of dog behavior, body language, welfare, how to interpret that. And so I think as you go along, you learn more about the different, you know, just how far that scale can go up and down and just how much we can, once we learn more, you can sort of remain in a, in a higher end of the scale. So in the more positive reinforcement based strategies, as you learn and go along. But I think that's one of the problems too, is that somebody that may be just starting out with a Lima philosophy, because that's really what it is. It's, it's not a, it's, I, I don't like it being used as like a cookie cutter framework. It's more of a philosophy, right? And thinking of what can I do to be kinder to these dogs, to do to be less intrusive, minimally aversive, as it says. So it makes you think about it. But it yeah. doesn't prescribe uh you've got a you know don't use that crate or you can use that crate because like black and white picture right it requires that critical thought Vinny was talking about and it's it's yeah so so yeah there's there's definite room for interpretation depending on where you're coming from so Vinny uh, brings up a good point and i want to kind of add to it so i let's i mean let's look into this a little more so when like when can you move up the Lima scale, I guess, or the hierarchy? Mm -hmm. When, how much time is it that, because it is something that I think about. And honestly, I will say uh, to just play devil's advocate for a second. One thing that I hear a lot of the time from the balanced community is, you know, oh, that trainer over there, that positive reinforcement trainer over there took them three months, it took them six months to get to that point when I was able to, you know, I could probably do this doing whatever I do in maybe half the time. And so I, it is a good question like that. I think about often how long is it enough or how long is it until we move up that ladder or that scale or whatever we want to say? 
Yeah, yeah. And so, well, just to clarify, up would be more positive reinforcement based, and down would be more down. Sorry, yes. Yeah, just yeah. so we're on the same page. Could be yeah. either way, right? But yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so let's say moving down the scale, we'll be moving towards more aversive methods. Yeah, but yeah it's that critical uh, critical thought piece. If it's you know, let's say it is a time factor, and let's say all things being equal in two cases, right? And you have. Uh, time being a factor in one case where the dog, let's say, is in a shelter environment, deteriorating behaviorally, and it's a uh, over, over, you know, uh, populated shelter environment. So, you know, euthanasia is happening on a daily basis versus a pet dog in the home with an owner that works from home, is semi-retired and has all the time in the world. So, and you take the two exact same dogs and you place them in either environment. That's the thing you have to consider when looking at moving up or down that scale, right? Uh, that's a component to consider, you know, do I have uh, the luxury of time with one dog versus the other? It completely changes the overall picture. So you might say, okay, well, this dog needs meds, or maybe the dog in the home doesn't, and meds certainly are invasive, right? Or if you look at different tools, what are we going to use to maybe suppress behavior uh, to keep everybody safe in the shelter? Is it the dog, for instance, in the client's home where we can manage it really? Let's say the dog has a real arousal issues, grabs and bites everything that's moving around, and, and people have reinforced it inadvertently. We're just trying to push the dog back when it's mouthing and grabbing an arm, but it's gotten dangerous. So now it's happening either in the shelter or at the home. At the home, we have the luxury of time and the environment, right? So we can have that owner say, okay, protected contact, gates, X pens, and all that. But in the shelter environment, somebody might be going, say, hey, I actually need to need to get this dog out of the kennel uh, to get out to the play group or to the walk or to clean the kennel or whatever. And that dog's jumping up and grabbing arms, biting. The only way to deal with that might be, let's say, using a slip lead with a leash just to keep yourself safe. Not necessarily in the context of training, but it's going down the scale when you're using a particular technique. So there's that critical thought aspect, like, okay, sure, we can we can use a more positive reinforcement-based method with that dog in shelter, but is it is it actually tangible? Can it be done? with the staff, with the resources, with the time restraints. So uh, it's critical thought, right? And I see, I see it all the time too, when, especially when I do workshops and seminars where it's a mixed crowd of shelter staff and trainers, and it might be a mixed crowd of bit balanced trainers, force trainers, shelter staff, also following different protocols and strategies and philosophies. It's interesting to see sometimes there's not a, a lot of knowledge about like what other people are doing in that shelter environment that are going down the scale because they have to to stay safe or they have to to uh, make impactful change in a in a very constrained time um you know limit so um yeah it's kind of i guess I, just throwing out a case for you there right? i want to i i because there was something i wanted to bring up and your story actually goes right into that is i feel like sometimes tools get lumped into the lima as in like more tools is automatically meaning you're moving down right but yeah. in your in your example with like the shelter dog is say we said you know what we don't want to use a slip lead so mm -hmm. we're going to spend you know four to six weeks getting this dog to walk nicely from its crate to the play yard on a harness instead well now for four to six weeks that dog is not in the play yard you know what I mean? Yeah. So then it's like, is that truly like, you know, Lima when we could throw a slip lead on the dog and yeah, maybe the tool has connotations to it, but now that dog is in a play yard for four to, four to six weeks earlier. Yeah. yeah. You know, quality of life, right? Quality and of life type of stuff. Significantly impacts it. Yeah. And, and that's the thing about the tools. That's what, you know, we can jump into that kind of it's the next part of the conversation is like what tool, like the actual tools that are people equating to Lima or, or 
kind of neatly categorizing that there's a problem with that though, because, you know, obviously people are jumping all over e-collars in some conversations. And then um, there's sometimes, you know, people knocking even positive reinforcement, but it's, it's up to the dog to decide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that's important thing. Some dogs are, are going to be totally fine with the stimulus from an e-collar in the sense of you know, when I say the word fine, they're not going to be as impacted as, for instance, withholding a treat or, you know, pulling a treat away from a dog that has significant issues with frustration or arousal. That could be more aversive than the e-collar, right? And so it doesn't, you know, it's a common e-collar argument, but it's also something to consider, right? And that requires the experience and the competency for it and the knowledge about it. But it's, it's, that's why I have the issue where tools are getting lumped in, as you mentioned, Vinny, to particular categories. And yes, e-collars do work on a, a you know, positive punishment, negative reinforcement paradigm. And treats obviously most of the time work on a positive reinforcement, negative punishment paradigm. But, <laughs> you know, we don't consider the impacts of it. You know, how much punishers, whether negative punishment or positive punishment, are going to affect that dog. And some dogs are going to be much more punished or find it much more aversive, the experience of withholding a reinforcer. So, um, fortunately it doesn't happen often. So most of the time you're going to be okay, right. <laughs> Using treats and food, but it's, it's, it's a consideration that doesn't get talked about enough. I think. Can we jump into maybe when tools maybe do need to be considered? Yeah. Again, I think it's the, a case by case, right? That's the most important thing is, it's not, it should never be a cookie cutter to like, this is the problem I'm seeing with a dog. It should always be like, what is the case in front of me? What is the dog in front of me? And what's going to work best for the dog in front of me? Um, you know, starting with the, obviously the positive reinforcement based strategies and environmental and antecedent arrangements, making sure all the needs are met, all the typical stuff we would start with. And I would hope that goes with any, uh, anybody that's working with dogs should always kind of view things as let's address this dog's needs first, you know, physical, uh, and mental enrichment needs, health, all of that stuff. But once that's out of the way, we're talking about training now. So let's get into the training. What are we going to do to get behaviors or change behaviors? So um, I think that is where the next component comes in. Okay, so we're using positive reinforcement for particular behaviors. Um, we want to change behavior in a certain way or get new behavior in a certain way. What is going to be most impactful, most effective for that dog in that moment? But are we doing things with the expediency that we need based on the urgencies in the case and um how much is going to impact everybody all the parties involved so um yeah it's to to go to certain other tools or using aversives may be a consideration when you are exhausting all the other options and of course you feel like you either consult with a colleague or you feel like your your knowledge is where um at least competent in that particular case you know when in doubt always always talk to a colleague or seek out a, uh, a mentor or somebody to help you but i think it's again so so crucial that we're not just looking at the tool again or whatever the aversive is you know so um what do you guys think i also like i want to take into account my clients too and i don't ever want to assume mm -hmm. and i'm also not saying that there aren't some clients that are capable because, you know, more and more I'm shocked at how much just, you know, clients, pet owners on, or, uh, you know, on Instagram, they could be watching videos and they know a lot, right? Like they're, they're much more educated, but 
something that has made me sometimes expedite my personal process is if I'm reading a client, I could see they're frustrated, right? And I might want to be doing stuff slower if this was my dog. But I know if I push them too far, or make them go too slow, they might make a huge jump, right? Like they yes. might go from zero to 100. And although I might not think it's quite time to go 50 miles per hour, I kind of want to meet them. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. somewhere in the middle, because I know that if if I don't, they're going to disappear and maybe, you know, watch a video online and do something that is just terrible and destroy this dog right yeah so and i know that's something that's even harder to, to like how do you put a number on that how do you you know make a chart that says okay this is it's kind of more of like a gut feeling and it's over time of like damn like if i would have maybe just loosened up a little bit i wouldn't have lost this person yeah yeah, yeah i was it just well i i have a case that i could just talk about that uh, reminds me of, of this. So, um, I had a case where the dog was extremely, extremely reactive, um, and, and aggressive to a degree. And, um, we worked together for a few months with very little results. And then we stopped, uh, working together for a bit they, the summer was over, they went back to work, fast forward, they have a baby, they call me up and they're having problems and I meet with them and the dog is still where it is. And they were very against medication. I was half and half between medication because it, part of me says, the dog is only having really an issue on the walks and they also are avid hikers, avid walkers. Mm -hmm. I cannot, I, you know, I could tell them don't do those things with your dog, but that's going to be a way that I I'm going to lose that client because that's not on the table for them. So they weren't into, they weren't into medicine. I wasn't, I was on the fence with meds because I thought it could potentially help this dog for sure. But at the same time, sometimes I wonder, is it doing the dog justice if we're medicating them when the dog is reactive and aggressive on the leash only, but everywhere else in the dog's life, the dog is actually very social. So we ended up deciding after working together for a bit, we decided it was time to uh, put a head halter on the dog with a prong collar and we were able to work with her. I mean, the dog had to be 500 feet away from another dog to not react. And after three sessions, I mean, I was able to walk her within 75 feet to the point where, to the point where when I was wor uh, working with her, what we were doing was we're putting, we were walking on the head halter we had the, uh, we had a tab leash on her prong. And so if she saw the trigger, we would use the tab and we would just lightly, like gently just pull on it. We weren't like swinging her across the street or anything. And then once she checked in with me, we were reinforcing her. And by the third lesson, when she saw a dog from 75 feet away, she was 
doing engage, disengage on her own without, without using the prong collar. Where now, now we could walk her 50 feet away from a trigger with just the head halter on without doing anything. And, and she'll look and in, disengage and look back at us and play with us. Like she actually can, she can actually play with us now, whether it's with toys or food. Uh, and one of the things I want to say, you know, as I'm saying this, one of the things I heard in actually your interview with Ivan is, and that was a three hour podcast. So this is going to be three and a half hours, but, um, <laughs> but in his podcast, when you guys were talking, he actually made a good point. And he said, sometimes there is that exception or that dog that might need something to then start being able to apply positive reinforcement to. And that, that was that case for, for me. And I, I, there was no denying the fact that, Hey, we worked together for months and didn't make a dent in this. We didn't make any progress in this. And then after the third lesson doing, taking the approach that I took, the dog was able to be within 75 feet away. I mean, that was a huge drastic difference where they're able to now go walk around the neighborhood and enjoy the dog and the dog, like I just got an email recently from them saying, it's amazing to see she actually is sniffing now. She's actually exploring the environment. She's no longer hypervigilantly, you know, spazzing out or searching and, and, and not like enjoying it. She actually is able to breathe. And if we sit on the park bench, she sits with us happily. She's not like the shutdown or suppressed dog. So I, 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 I don't know. I just think, I, I think that um, sometimes there has, there are certain situations where something might be necessary, especially to Vinny's point that with the time and the client itself, and also the expense too, in a way I feel bad because I worked with this client for a very long time and they were paying me for that entire time. And then in just three sessions, I was able to address the problem in a fraction of the time. Yeah. I mean, that's, you're following a Lima protocol there, really, it, depending on which iteration you're looking at, but yeah, it definitely falls on a Lima. A good paradigm. one, of course. What do you mean, what kind? That's a good one. <laughs> but, you know, again, put, applying, let's apply some critical thought to that too, as well, because mm-hmm. we, you know, you, you mentioned the P word, the prong collar, right? It would be a, a big, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, it's a very difficult word, even for some people to say, but think about other things that we don't think about that are just the same that, uh, you know, force free trainers, positive trainers, balance trainers are doing day in and day out without really even thinking about it from a Lima strategy. So getting a dog out to a play group is a perfect example, right? So that dog that's gnarling, gnashing at the leash at the handlers, that handler's got to go in and grab grab the dog, anybody who runs, does play groups in the shelters could probably uh, echo this story, but they go in and they got to get the dog out. They get the dog to the play group. The dog's like, okay, that was great. Next day, same thing. And then over a few days, sometimes could be a little longer, but the dog starts to actually be like, hey, it's you again. That means I get to go play. Then you see the behavior dissipate for several reasons because the person predicts the positive event, but you also have you know the increased enrichment and social aspects that decrease the frustration and the arousal that are happening usually. So it's same similar thing, right? You're, you're employing, you're suppressing something to then move to positive. 
uh, reinforcement based strategies mm -hmm. in, in a sense. Yeah. And it's, you know, you have the same, and it's, it's the argument e-collar trainers use a lot, right? Is my dog loves e-collar because they get to go running and playing afterwards. Like they, they know predicts like the off leash hikes in the woods or something like that. And it's the same concept, you know, but if you replace tool with something else humans doing in that picture that doesn't necessarily even require the tool or a leash or anything, the same concept, right? So uh, critical thought matters when we're thinking about dog behavior and, 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 you know, the pitchforks shouldn't come out when somebody's thinking about a case, you know, from a competence, competency standpoint, uh, knowledge standpoint, experience standpoint, you know, uh, if you had just started training yesterday, Anthony, <laughs> I'd be like, mm, let's talk a little bit more about that. But but you've, you're a CDBC, you've been training a while, so you know you have the this, the knowledge and skill set to kind of think through that situation, right, with your client. So there you go again with the, it's really important that it's not a cookie cutter mold. It's a it's a fluid philosophy that makes us better trainers and consultants because we're always we think about it, right? You thought about that. So if Lima wasn't around and none of this politics were around, who knows, right? What you would have been doing otherwise, right? If I don't know. I'm a thinker. I think <laughs> I, sit on, I sit on shit and think about it. And then I wake up in the middle of the night and think about it some more. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm naturally that way. But, 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 that's, but I think that's a good point, though, because it, it makes you become very objective and take a step back for a second, as opposed yeah. to saying, I only follow this and I am now limited if something goes wrong or doesn't work right. Let's unpack it a little further too. Let's say- I feel like are... I'm at a therapy session yeah. now, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna unpack more, doc, go ahead. You know, let's say you weren't, you know, again, getting back to thinking about Lima, you know, you would have taken probably a different approach, but it makes you think about it, right? And so, you know, there's the other argument too that once you know enough about positive reinforcement strategies that's all you should need right because you're so knowledgeable about it that you can you can change the environment you can adapt the situation errorless learning all these other concepts that come into play which which are uh wonderful theoretically but it's again you are going to be the one that knows how to apply it to the case so you think about that for a moment right you think about is is what I'm doing here, you know, in line with Lima? Is it, is it, I mean, that's what you're thinking about as you're going through this process. So it's, it's a helpful philosophy, but, um, you know, you can imagine the different lanes you would have went down, not thinking that way. Right. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's just so much, there's so many, you know, so many intricacies to it when you really dive deep into it. Cause I've had this conversation too, and that, you know, so many trainers like concerned about following Lima and they're worried and it always goes back to the tools. Right. Uh, yeah. But, you know, once they get, they start to look at it more critically, it's not just about tools. So much else falls into line, you know, meds, enrichment, management, um, things that we don't talk about with when it comes to Lima necessarily uh, don't enter the conversation. So, um, yeah. Just and random you, thoughts. You, you talked about this with Ivan a little bit and, you know, to, give everyone the benefit of the doubt with the whole tool thing. It's because in the current culture, and you talked about the culture too of, you know, Instagram, people are learning about a person's methods from like a 10 second flashy yeah. clip. And the tools are a great easy way 
you know, like you could just open up a random training page and flip through and have one second. And then you could mm -hmm. tell me what type of trainer it is because the tools stick out, you know, but really, I think the word that you said that is most important is in it's intricate. Like there's so many things happening and then to just minimize it to just like, I saw an electric yeah. collar, you know, like yeah. the one, the one thing yeah. when I, when I first started, I always tell the story and I'm going to keep saying it because it's funny and it's exactly how I felt. The first time I got a Michael Ellis DVD, I felt like a little kid that snuck a rated R film out of my <laughs> parents thing. Like, like I was like, this old school idiot is gonna is gonna be killing the dogs on the video like I thought I was get, I was getting ready to watch like the worst movie of my life and then he started talking about competing motivators and superstitious associations and for anyone that doesn't believe me if you got Michael Ellis's electronic collar DVD most of his negative reviews are that the guy doesn't want you to use it most of the time you know so you know I think it, it is important for us to look past the tools look at the whole situation and sometimes it's hard to do that when you're watching a quick a quick video and then something else you touched upon that ties into this with me is how um and and ivan brought it up but how it seems like i could be more force free i could be more force free i could be more force free and then it's like i'm gonna like shape an errorless learning full like you know like eye care and it just gets so ridiculous to the point it's like i'm never gonna touch my dog ever um, and like you said, it's great in theory, but, you know, I, I used to teach group classes and if anyone's ever done that, you know, to think about like, oh, we're even shaping in a group class, you know, with like nine puppies in a kindergarten class, like it's just not going to happen. You take the treats, you put it on yeah. the dog's nose and you start luring them right away. Yeah. So I don't know, like Anthony, Anthony knows I go off on these tangents, but um, it, if we look past the tools and then get into this, think of it from an intricate perspective, but then how do we make sure then that we aren't going on the other end of the extreme where we use Lima as a way to say, oh, look, like I put a cookie in the dog's face. I tried this, I tried that. It's almost like we need to be able to measure the dog's dopamine level, or we need to met like not, you know, not necessarily dopamine, but how can you put a number on a dog's emotions and it really is body language and feeling you know like i yeah. see dogs that are wearing prong collars that look happier than dogs that are wearing a harness yeah and it's again going back to several things too like you know when you're talking about when we're looking at snapshots of behavior but also snapshots in time of somebody's instagram channel or where, wherever they've got you never know i mean it could be it could be their client just was happened to use that tool before they started transitioning to something else and that's a shame when we see trainers getting attacked for you know oh my gosh you evil person how dare you have like a picture on your social media of one dog you know out of a group of 20 and that just happens to be walking by and it's just it's ridiculous that the um sort of pitchforks that come out when we see those things, but you know, a tongue flicking dog or a muzzle that's just slightly too small and people just jump all over it. Um, but, you know, it's to get to the kind of the second point, um, 
let me get my thoughts wrapped around this because I was kind of stuck on, I was getting heated about just, you know, seeing so many trainers get attacked for um, having even for, you know, actually I want to, I want to stick on that point just for a second. And then, cause they, they know I go off on these tangents, mm-hmm. but that's the way my mind you thinks told because already before you came. Here. Okay, good. You gave him a heads up. <laughs> Spit so, it up, Vinny. <laughs> so because I'll admit when I listen when I listened to your podcast with Ivan, um, and maybe a lot of people don't agree with this, but I was pleasantly surprised by some of your answers i'll be honest um you know i took your course loved it um but other than that i didn't know how you felt on some of the other things because it you know wasn't pertaining to to your course um and i feel like the extremes of the balance community mm-hmm. end up on the news right <laughs> like they it's it's a dog being we you know lifted yeah. up in the ground and slammed yeah. on the floor i don't know if i would consider them balanced but go so, on okay but you know what i mean the, Compul- the extreme, i guess compulsion is the so, right so yeah so what i'm saying is like dog <laughs> yeah. training taken to the extreme of you know the compulsion yeah. side no but i appreciate that because i'm not trying to call out i'm just saying yeah. Yeah. on that end end up being obviously not condoned by and even balanced trainers will come out and they like don't yeah. condone this right yeah. But do I feel like I don't see anyone in the force free community ever really like going against maybe the extreme to the other direction. And maybe it's because like at the end of the day, like no dog really got hurt. Like, you know, no one's really hurting anyone like physically. So so should or, you know, should is it selfish of me to want maybe some of the leaders of the force free community to maybe sometimes push back against some of those extremists Mm -hmm. in their own community so that you know because there are a lot of people that are the silent my my majority that are like oh my goodness like i'm scared to show my dog in a flat collar because someone might or like I took a really cute picture of my dog, but it tongue flicked for a second and someone's yeah. going to think that it's like, you know, and, and and I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, it's well, you know, you could start with the term force free, you know, it's mm-hmm. it indicates like this righteous kind of terminology, like you're free of something. So something yeah. bad, in other words, uh-huh. when you say <laughs> anything's free, so fat free, you know, poison free, <laughs> it indicates something you want to avoid. Which I, you know, I get, and but the problem with that is that it creates this sort of air of righteousness, like we're better because we mm-hmm. strive, and the more force-free we get, the better we get, the more righteous mm-hmm. we are, the better we are than everybody else. That's the problem I see, and so you get to these extremes. But you were right, Benny. You know, you don't necessarily see, you know, the same thing where a compulsion-based trainer is making the news, where a force-free trainer is doing something. But I will argue that sometimes can creep up in other ways. You see, you know, these long-term uh, housing situations or, or hoarding really, you know, so obviously not the same kind yeah. of training, but we're looking at quality of life issues sometimes too, when somebody's stuck on, I'm going to manage the heck out of this and throw some positive reinforcement and let's see if it sticks over the course of two years or something like that. That is the same in the sense of, you know, you're, especially if the dog's massively contained and managed you know, sanctuary type situation crate somewhere. And I've seen it and we saw it here locally in Connecticut. Um, so it's, it's something that, to, that gets 
I, I guess it's not so obvious, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why there isn't the outrage is when you see a compulsion-based trainer or somebody doing something really mean and uh, to dogs or, or abusive. Uh, it's hard to see the same type of abuse. And then it kind of does undermine the, mm -hmm. the larger community because it gives, mm -hmm. you know, maybe people that are, you know, not agreeing with yeah. positive reinforcement training, but, oh, look how silly this is, like, you know what I mean? Like you, both sides, right? You know, yeah. I mean, and like, I yeah, they both have a, it. Like the extremes yeah. hurt both sides, really. Yeah. And and that's why, you know, I was also pleased to hear, you know, with the labels. Like I don't even, I don't label myself anymore. I don't say I'm yeah. forced free. I don't say I'm balanced. I'm I'm just a dog trainer. I want to better the dogs that I that I come in contact with. Yeah. Um, and I will pull from every trainer. Like I will not not learn from someone because, you know, yeah, of something yeah. that they're you're they're using. I think the the thing that also doesn't well, it kind of gets talked about more now. But what what when you see those extremes is the treatment of people. So mm -hmm. not so much it doesn't it shifts from they're they're being as kind as possible and least invasive or force free as possible to, to the dogs. But what you often see is this shift of towards human behavior really becomes very punishing to some people. So the criticisms and the, the pitchforks come out. If somebody has a, uh, you know, a particular collar or flat collar or a tongue flicking oh, yeah. dog, or, yeah. you know, you see that, and that that's the, the issue I see happening. And of course that can be directed at other camps of trainers as mm -hmm. we see oftentimes, which just creates more issues because then those trainers that are getting attacked for using a particular tool are going to be like, wow, these, you know, they equate it like, okay, all force free trainers are like that or something like that. So I see that happen, yeah. that issue happen sometimes too, which you can see just creates this huge divisive, you know, atmosphere between the two camps. And it's unfortunate because then conversations like this need to have, or a podcast with Ivan needs to be done because it just, it's just continuing to get worse. This huge, um, dichotomy in the two camps you know and and it's a shame because as they mentioned on ivan's podcast there's a we have way more in common than than people yeah. think right it's true though because i've the past couple years and it's like the past two years especially this year but the past two years i've i've really invested a lot of time and and money in learning from trainers i would not have before mm -hmm. And that started initially with sheep herding two years ago or three years ago, whatever it is. And I was very cautious and nervous because of like a lot of the things I saw and heard before about it. And my coaches were great. They like met me where I was and they helped me develop my skill level with, with all of the things that I've learned. And then it made me realize, oh, wow, like those those like we'll label them for a second, but those balance trainers over there that I was learning from really weren't that bad. We actually had a lot more in common yep. than, than we did differences. And then I started getting more interested and curious to hear and see what others were doing. And then, I mean, I just kind of kept going between the educational courses, the DVDs, the virtuals I've done, and there really is a lot of crossover and a lot of similarity more than people think, because when you're taught by a certain group or you're, you're in that certain group and you identify as a certain 
type of trainer, yeah. you're surrounded by only that group, yeah. which limits the things that you could potentially be learning or the knowledge you'll be taking in, or you're hearing what other people are saying based on their, their personal experiences or their personal thoughts without actually saying, well, you know what, yeah. that's your personal thought and opinion, and maybe something really bad happened, or, or you had this case or that case, but I didn't maybe have that if, you know, someone else may yeah. have a different experience. Right. And, and so I've really, I've really made it a point to really try and get a lot of takeaways. Like I, I was joking around with someone today, Learberg really got a lot of my money. This, this black <laughs> this year on, on some of the DVDs and stuff yeah. that I got that I wanted to uh, look into, but, but um, I, yeah, I just, I don't know where it's going with that. Does that make you guilty by association now? Right. So, so that's the, <laughs> yes. I feel like I bought yes. like graded R DVDs right? as so, Vinny said. No, he's a balance trainer. Yeah. <laughs> so you might, after this podcast, people might start calling you a balance trainer mm -hmm. just because of guilt by association. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that again is really, really, you know, it's, it's difficult for me to digest that because it's just, it's really sad when we suddenly alienate somebody or polarize the industry just because like, so let's say, you know, there's no standard definitions really for force free or balance. You see all kinds of different mm. definitions for it. Yeah. So, you know, if we were to say, oh, Anthony maybe used a prong collar once. And so now he's balanced once out of 10,000 mm -hmm. cases or something yeah. like that. Or what yeah. about somebody that uses them half the time or somebody that uses them 90% of the time and would they all be balanced? Would one be more compulsion? Um, is Anthony still would be considered force free? Like all these questions come up and it's wild when you think about it. That's just because of the tool we're seeing or talking it's about. It's funny because so I had a video, I had a video on Instagram that I posted. I was showing mm -hmm. Vinny and Stephanie and it was using a little leash pressure just mm -hmm for getting the dog to come yeah. when it was called. And I did, there was like, not even, I didn't even do anything. There was just a little tension on the leash. And I mean, I was like, you know, I had a few people say something to me just because the leash was tight. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. because the label on the top said leash pressure, you know, now all of a sudden, oh my goodness. And like, oh, you know, oh, is he changing? Oh, is he, it, you know, it's just silly, it's just, silly yeah. things that, it's like, like using an example too, like what would you label a trainer that uses treats? When I just say that, you're like, oh, positive reinforcement based. Okay, let's say this trainer hasn't really learned working in proximity with like a dog that has human aggression issues. They're, they're good at positive reinforcement training. They know how to clicker train. They have good timing, but they make the error of hand feeding. So they get a dog past their critical distance and they're flooding the dog at that point. <laughs> they now balanced. Yeah, because they're using an aversive <laughs> in that moment and and you know without realizing it but you know does it need to be purposeful to be considered balanced so these are the arguments that i have that that just creates more divisiveness because it's easy to say oh that person you know does this this or this wrong or there's their this label or that label so um yeah it's you know think about you know what we would label as force free and balanced and let's 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 get rid of those terms right let's yeah because i think i think that's what alienates trainers because like you're saying yeah. it's kind of funny and i know it's not actually the same but like if i just use prong collars all the time every day with every dog and then all of a sudden one day i brought a cookie and i and i gave a dog one treat you wouldn't be like oh he's a force free. he's a he's a positive yeah. r trainer now you know what i mean so it's or would like, you be compulsion or balanced right so compulsion yeah is the opposite it's, of the spectrum like would you what category would you fall in it, it's like once you use a tool you're like tarnished and you're just 
just like mm -hmm. like now you can't you're no longer allowed um yeah for sure so i, I want to actually i just wanted oh, to hear from stephanie because i know she said before we talk that you know as someone that works with sport dogs she's never even really heard of this so i kind of want to just check on in and, and hear what does this sound like to you are you listening yeah. to this and going like oh like there is kind of an equivalent of this in the sport in the sport world and like maybe you were doing it and just didn't have a name for it and then how are you how are you kind of moving down or up that that ladder yeah, yeah no 100 percent. i mean i there's definitely forms of this in the sport world um i think it's funny like when anthony and i first met i don't even think he really knew like where i fell on the spectrum <laughs> um because for me it's at the end of the day it's about the dog and just helping the team that I have in front of me. So balanced, force-free, like whatever you want to call it. I don't know. I feel like I was going to ask, like, do you feel like these terms are like doing more harm than good? I guess that's for all of you. <laughs> <laughs> Cause to me, like, it sounds like, it yeah. sounds like it's causing, it's causing like an uprising in the dog community. And at the end of the day, oh. it should just be about the dogs. Right. Yeah, I think it, I think, well, first of all, so when I found you, it was because I, I did a lot of digging and a few people that I knew, knew you. And it, like, I just kept hearing good things. So I was like, okay, that's fine. So she's the person I want to go to, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think, yeah, I think it's a problem because it's, I mean, a lot of this for me has come up because of politics mm -hmm. um, because it's, politics is so horrible today sure. and 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 there's this side or that side and what really brings up this topic for me and what really gets like really lights a flame under my ass if I'm going to be very honest is you cannot tell me that all the time a liberal or a democrat is right or a conservative or a republican is right all the effing time like I, I, if they were right all the time, I don't know that we would need to pick sides. I think everyone would just be, oh yeah, they're right all the time. Let's, let's all be that. Yeah. So I, I, it makes me just think of that when I think of training, is it that one side is right all the time? And so like, that's what really like, like makes me think about all of this stuff and really gets me thinking about that whole concept of being more objective, being more of a critical thinker and seeing more of what's in front of me as opposed to my side or my I'm right my side's right that side's wrong and I think so I think it does it is causing a, a big issue in in the industry and I feel like it's really changed from when I started eight years ago yeah and uh oh Anthony just brought U.S. politics into the conversation. <laughs> Don't even. Don't do it. <laughs> we'll edit that out. <laughs> but but you but um, am I wrong? Am I wrong? Yeah. Tell me I'm right at least. No comment. No comment. No comment. 
no comment. Sticking to dogs. Sticking to dogs. <laughs> yeah, you know, to Stephanie's to Stephanie's question, and I said this last last show is like it's funny when I'm at work, I love it because I never talk about any of this stuff. You know, when I'm in someone's living room, I'm not talking about quadrants or force free balance. I'm not even doing it. It's it's online, but I think it is important, and it, and. And I understand why it's important to both sides, honestly, like if you want to be if you want to be truthful about it to the one side or to certain people, like some dogs are being abused, right? Like I hear people referring to balanced training as like literally training with violence. They say that. Um, And and although I might not fully agree with that all the time, like the way that I think about it is like, that's what that person believes. Like, I can't change how people believe like that's literally what that person believes. And then to the to the balance side, I can see why they're they feel like they are being kind of disqualified from being able to train. Right. Because they feel like people are trying to say that my tools that I use are violent and abusive. And if I'm violent and abusive, then I can't be training. Like um, they're going after my livelihood. And if you, and then you see where like the hate and vitriol almost stems from, you know, the one side thinks the other side's killing the dogs and the other side thinks that like, oh, you're you're trying to get rid of me and tell me I can't do what my job is. I'm putting food on my table, you know? Yeah. It's, and to to kind of um, jump off that point is that, you know, I just, I've been having conversations with a few people on like different social media accounts of Ivan's that were questioning some of the things that we talked about. And, um, you know, you mentioned something about livelihoods being threatened, but that's, again, there's, that's, I can totally understand that perception because, you know, the, the way that people talk about those callers, you know, using all kinds of loaded language. Um, and it may be true in some scenarios. Sure. There's, there's abuse happening with those tools, but it's also, um, it's missing again, the conversation around it. We need to have conversations mm-hmm. if they want to hear what the force free trainers or, you know, folks that are maybe against those scholars or what their issue is. There has to be an open dialogue for that. That's what's missing. It's just attacks right now. And I get it. 100%. You're going to put up, there's going to be a defensive wall because there's already be, there's been attacks happening for years, you know, and, and I, you know, somebody asked me if they were asking about a, a e-collar band that I signed that was in San Francisco. So um, I, they're like, didn't you sign that? And you're talking to Ivan about it. I'm like, yeah, well, we never really talked about e-college actually in, in depth in that episode anyways. But yeah, I support the ban and, but they didn't hear, you know, they've got to hear why, you know, it's not that I'm saying, oh, e-callers are evil or these people are evil or the balance trainers using them are awful people. I'm saying that in my experience, seeing these tools used by the general public and people don't know what the heck they're doing with them, that's where the issue I have is. So yeah, I don't want to see these things ending up in the average consumer on shopping on Amazon's hands, you know, and that's completely different than a lot of balance trainers are using these things in most cases, not in the way that the, a lot of trainers are saying, oh, these evil tools are always going to be abusive, always cause damage, always cause burn marks and all of these inflammatory responses, which are only partially true sometimes. Not, It's mm-hmm. not a blanket. These things are always abusive. These things are always evil. Now, you know, again, to just to reiterate, you know, I don't, I don't think that I would use them in, in the sense of, you know, I'd rather see them not used because if I need to use Universal, I could probably come up with something else because the problem I have is that they're falling in the hands of unskilled individuals. So any tool that can be, has the potential for that, you know, um, I don't like the word fallout. I want to see misuse. 
that's probably the better word is uh, that's where I have the problem with it. So, and that's with any aversive tool. So, you know, uh, and then the argument comes like, well, you can use anything really aversively in the wrong way. You can put a flat collar or a head halter or a harness on a dog and still use it very abusively, which is true. However, <laughs> um, you know, in my experiences, I'm seeing the e-collar probably the most damaging in terms of behavior for dogs, especially when all the aggression cases I've seen, right? So, um, so yeah, that's the, the, we need to have conversations like that. And I'll, I'm happy to have that dialogue with anybody that wants to talk about e-collars and how they're using them. I have no problem having that. Dialogue yeah. So two, I have a two-part question with that yeah. is one, do you think that obviously the, the people that are coming to you are, have aggressive issues. So mm -hmm. could there be a little bit of a skew to the population that you're getting that from in terms of like how much fallout there is? Um, and then my second question to that would, would you be more open? Because this is an argument I've heard from, from balance trainers is uh, e-collars being treated almost more like a car where like you have to get a license or a permit or maybe mm -hmm. only a balance trainer could issue you one and you have yeah. to do certain things to prove that you're capable of utilizing yeah. it correctly. It's a really good question and not to get into politics, but it's, you know, something to consider. I didn't bring it up by the way, <laughs> but you know, if, if you, if you're to look at, um, you know, it, like that's the, it's a good argument, right? So let's, let's make sure that anybody that does have their hands, cause there are some countries that actually do this Norway being one of them. If you're going to use an e-collar, you actually have to be licensed and I forget what the actual laws are, but it's, you can't buy it as a general consumer. You have to be mm -hmm. a trainer working, I think in a specific subset around like dogs that are, um, something around livestock or injuring livestock. I forget what the exact rules are, but it's like, it's like that's the law that's there. And in some countries, it's completely banned. So if you go to Germany, there are no e-collars because so you have to think about the product already being in the marketplace. So e-collars are everywhere here in the US. I wouldn't say everywhere, but they're readily available. So like guns um, or any other thing that if you ban them, people are going to get there. Just get them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so we had to think about what are we going to do there? So do we, okay, let's make sure we do have people that know how to use them very skillfully. And, and again, there's people that will say you can never use them skillfully, but I disagree. I think um, any tool can be used skillfully because it's the laws of behavior. Now, do I, would I use that as a first step? Of course not. But, um, you know, you have to think about how available those tools are, who's going to be using them before, you know, um, you look at, are we going to license certain trainers for them? So if there's a lot of thought, I think I would, I would need to, to, to go either way. I would need to see like, what does the legislation look like for that? Who can use them? Who's, who are the trainers? Um, how, what's the availability of the tools? How do you get them? Is it the trainer only selling them? So there's a lot of deep dive conversation. I think that we need to go around that. Um, and I think you've made a good point too. I just want to, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like even who the trainer is, I think that's yeah. important because I, I think I've said this story before, but the balance trainer that I was uh, learning hurting from, I asked her, could I come with you to one of your cases that you're going to do mm -hmm. uh, e-collar work with? And so she brought me along. It's the first time she met the client. The client put in the intake form. They wanted to use an e-collar for, I don't remember what, to be honest. Mm -hmm. We get there and it was like the, it was a diamond in the rough. Like one of those dogs, like everyone would dream to get of from a pet, like from a shelter. 
like just mm -hmm. an amazing dog. And it was this older couple and the entire session ended up being all positive reinforcement based. And at the end I said to her, so what happened? I thought we were doing <laughs> e-collar e work here. Like what happened? Why didn't she goes, did you see how horrible their timing was with food? And I said, yeah, I saw. She goes, why would I put a remote control yeah. in that person's <laughs> hands? Yeah. Like I, she goes, yeah. you're going to, you know, like the damage that can be done on that dog. And that's, again, like that goes back to that comp uh, competence-based yep. model of, of Lima. Like that trainer was skilled enough to realize that, right? So I, I just think it's interesting that you bring that up with, with it depends on who the trainer is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of why I wish there was like a, there was a way, you know, cause it, like, like what you were saying, if they're everywhere, people are using them. Some might wish that they were just all disappeared, but again, back to like, you know, when I'm working with a client and being a realist of like, what's realistically going to happen? Would I like, maybe it would be in a perfect world that we never had to use them ever, but it's like, they are happening. Um, would it be better that we had people knowledgeable instead of them, you know, maybe going through the regular outlets and everything is force free and then they have to go and they have to hide or they learn about it from a friend at a dog park yeah. and then now they're just beeping away in a corner um, and to tie it back into like the main topic of Lima is it would be nice if some of these, you know, the tools were talked about and when do we use them and you know because yeah we hear yeah. it and I, I remember it would always confuse me because you know I was a, originally across I was like a compulsion trainer and then I went all the way to the other end and I remember it was like the one thing I would always kind of be like oh, this is kind of weird you know they're talking about it but then then they're not talking about how I was genuinely interested in how they were gonna say how to use it and then I was almost pleasantly surprised when, again, when I got like Ella's DVDs or, I, or even Ivan's DVDs, like the way I would have gone down the Lima trail mm -hmm. would have been so bad. Like, you know what I mean? Because like yeah. I to what you said before about the trainer that just had cookies and then a shot collar. It's like if I would have started being like, OK, well, like, I guess we got to try an e-collar now the way I would have implemented it even as a professional trainer at the time, as a you know yeah. certified trainer would have been way worse yeah. than what you know like a mainstream well-learned balance trainer would yeah. have would have used it yeah and again it goes back to that competency aspect right and the issue with putting tool making tools readily available to somebody that doesn't have the knowledge or competency around it not to say you're not <laughs> knowledge or competent <laughs> yeah but, exactly you know what i'm saying like it's like you know historically all of us you know at one time we're not knowledgeable or competent in training, right? Mm -hmm. And so when do you decide, hey, I feel competent enough now? Who makes that decision? You know? <laughs> yeah. so, so you can see all these, these questions. So yeah, again, I, you know. I get to decide. Come on. That's it. Yeah, right? <laughs> and I think with tools, once when you remove a tool out of somebody's toolbox, they're going to find another way, right? Yeah, so they, so sure. like in Germany, they don't have e-calls, but they have other ways of using aversives, you know? So mm -hmm. like here, they'll find, you know, you've got all kinds of aversives that again you get bonkers and all of these you know these wild like punishment based tools that people mm -hmm. resort to um so yeah there's other these things that are going to happen but 
I think that's the, again, going back to the core message of Lima is this, let's just get people thinking about that. Let's get them thinking about, Hey, I'm just new to training. What's this Lima thing? Oh, least intrusive. That means I should be doing the least amount of bad stuff, I guess, to a dog. Mm -hmm. If you're first mm -hmm. starting out, that's may maybe the way you think about it, but there's no way yet that anybody's going to like, you could give a whole course on Lima and to somebody start first starting out. I think they're still going to have a tough time grasping all of the, the nuances of it because they've got to learn about operant conditioning. They've got to learn about body language. They've got to learn about welfare and, you know, how much different aspects of the dog's life impact stress and all those things take time to learn. I guess you could kind of look at it like a, you know, a, a journey for a human learning anything else. Like, you, you know, you can learn about taking care of yourself and health and exercise, but it's a journey, right? It's a, it's mm -hmm. a long journey over many years to realize that, okay, I shouldn't be eating this, or this is right for my body. And this is exercise works well for me. And this one doesn't, and it's going to be different for everybody. And same thing with training. It's so unique to that individual dog and what our knowledge is about it at the time and the, and the tools. Right. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it makes me, yeah. I mean, I was going to actually ask the same question. I was going to say why, why aren't we seeing the conversation of implementing Lima practices or the philosophy of Lima at, at like, you know, I'm not throwing you under the bus, but like at your conference or at, you know, another conference or, or like your course, for example, is yeah, maybe anyone could take it, but again, that doesn't mean they can, just by watching all the things in your course means they can just go out and now do fix all aggression or address all aggressive problems. They're gonna, there's a lot of nuance to it. There's a lot of things that you need to be aware of that you can miss very easily. And you need a lot of experience, even if you have that knowledge, you need the, the hands-on experience, the hours with the clients and those dogs. And so like, why isn't there maybe a course? Why aren't these organizations who, who represent or support Lima, why aren't there, why isn't there like a course on this or to not only, not even just, and I know it might sound a little silly, but I know Lima's gray, but why isn't there a course to maybe say, this is, this is an example, here are example of cases on where it starts and how to move down if you get into a certain situation and what the options are and maybe how to utilize those options effectively in, um, you know, the safest or most effective way possible. Politics. That's my answer. Here I mean, we go. It really Again, is. It dirty is. Dirty word. Well, it's, um, I don't <laughs> but think. you're right, though. There's I mean, not a lot of people that are going to step up to do that, right? To showcase, yeah. like, this is why I would move into using an aversive in a case. But I think that's, a, kind of, but that's a problem. Right. Though. Right. That's a problem, though, yep. because, because then if we're talking about, if we're talking about, like, trying to be, more objective, more critical thinkers, like that type of stuff. We need to then be providing mm -hmm. information out there and let people do what they want with it. But it, at least it's there because the other thing is, who do you learn from? Like, who do you, like, how do you decide? You, yeah. Like I, you know, some of the balance trainers I figured out how to learn from was from Vinny. You know, he told me, oh, look for these people. I found mm -hmm. a few other trainers that I knew. I asked them, like I had to ask people and you find your way. But if I didn't ask someone who was as smart as Vinny, they could have given me some shit trainer who was horrible. 
know, that yep. they would Anthony's getting good. spicy now. This is the spiciness coming. Took him a little while. Anyway, gotta... <laughs> he's getting excited now. <laughs> after this, after this whole recording, there's gonna be texts going back and forth. Oh, no, oh boy, it'll be up until like midnight. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I went off, but but like yeah, I I just think I just think that if if it's I think that it's also if we're trying to create if we're trying to have people become more objective and and everything like that I think that maybe the information does need to be provided somewhere. Yeah. And it's I think it's just hard to do because the 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 framework is so abstract in a way yeah. in interpretation and again I keep going back to that competency knowledge aspect but it's it's really hard to do. And I can't think of anybody that would consider themselves a force-free trainer giving a webinar talk on Lima because but the then don't support will come it. back. Well, but the argument's going to come it. back. They're going to get attacked. They're going to get attacked by people that say, why would you do that? You can do everything force-free. You can do errorless learning. You can arrange the environment correctly. You can use a positive reinforcement strategy the full time if you set things up correctly. And, and that's the unfortunate aspect is that that's not always true, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It's not universal. It's not like a universal law that we can always apply to say, oh yeah, sure, we can totally make it all positive reinforcement, which is impossible. So it's that's the problem because yeah, you can say, all right, I'm a force free trainer. I'm going to work with this case. I'm going to display how Lima is used, and I had to move into other procedures, maybe a negative reinforcement procedure. But who's going to put themselves out there to do that? Right. Not a lot of people will. And um, that's why it's not I don't think it's in the masses of the mainstream education culture we're seeing now, seminars, workshops, conferences, um, who will talk about those, you know, somebody that might consider themselves balanced, probably because they're not going to get attacked <laughs> from their colleagues, usually I mean, like this is how I started with positive reinforcement and moved to a particular negative reinforcement or positive punishment scenario. Well, it'd be interesting normal to see in like, nomenclature, right? And I'm using air quotes there. <laughs> I mean, it'd be interesting to see then like a, a Michael Ellis show up and be a presenter at one mm -hmm. of the, or an Ivan show up to who know, like who yeah. actually know the quadrants, know how to work through a Lima approach and to see them show up a, and be a presenter at one of these, it's, these conferences or these courses yeah. or something, it would be, I think, who better to learn from then and to just yeah. see what someone else has to say. Same, same principle applies though, unfortunately, is the pitchforks come out again, right? So if you have a conference that is, you know, uh, an air quotes again, force-free based or, or, you know, has a positive reinforcement culture and you bring in a speaker like that, you're going to get, you know, the tip, the, not typical, but you will see pitchforks come out, boy, boycotts and like, you know, and that's the unfortunate aspect because we can learn so much from somebody like a Michael Ellis, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. Third party system, just keeping yeah. the politics in it. <laughs> Here we go. Here, here oh. we go. So, but, I, well, and and also, also like, and I want to say, I, but it's interesting you say that because I want to give credit to then like the IACP because I've never been to one of their conferences. Mm -hmm. But I always see like the, the ads on social media or the posts yeah. from other trainers. I have to give them credit because they get people from all sides of the spectrum. Yeah. You've been there. Mm -hmm. uh, Kim Brophy's been there. Ian Dunbar. Yeah. Grisha Stewart. Grisha believe, Stewart. Yeah. Roger DeBrantes yeah. has been pre a presenter. Yeah. Um, 
uh, I don't, I mean, like, you know, the list goes on, but, but, yeah. you know, they're getting, at least they're bringing in people from all different sides, mm -hmm. which I think is smart, really. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand the argument too, from organizations that are promoting a frost free um, mm -hmm. message that obviously you don't want to uh, have somebody presenting against that culture. Uh, but also the the point the other point is that there are a lot of unknown presenters. That's a kind of the wrong word, but presenters that aren't as well known, or people that you know that are using a force free you know paradigm that they can why not give them the stage and the access to mm -hmm. that. So mm -hmm. I understand that point too, um, but I do still again always even my students I tell them you know if you even if you don't agree with somebody's methodology or the tools they're using in, but you feel like you want to go learn something new or learn something different about particular types of training that have nothing to do with force or punishment. Most of the time, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn a lot. So we need to keep those bridges open, those, and those doors open for that learning to happen. It may not happen at a major conference, but it can happen in many other aspects. And, uh, you know, that's where I, I'm, I would like to see the continued, you know, reaching across the aisle happen. So it may not happen yeah. tomorrow at the next big conference, but it may happen in many other ways, you know, webinars, social media stuff, podcasts, you know, we see that happening, fortunately, more. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I was going to say that was going to be I was going to ask that question. So how do we like, where do we go from here? Or how do we maybe how do we maybe have more of these conversations? How do we start trying to build bridges or make connections how can how can your students say that yeah. you know how can your students maybe start doing that that's maybe what i should be yeah saying. drop the labels that's we already kind of agreed upon that all of us i mm -hmm. think the whole force-free balance compulsion label is just divisive no matter what you do um mm -hmm. i i you know i understand that you know um, labeling yourself or it makes you feel comfortable about being surrounded by your peers sometimes, but can also work against the industry as a whole. So um, kind of think about that, you know, I do, do you feel more comfortable being in a particular camp or do you, are you, you know, how do you feel about the industry becoming more divisive and more um, difficult for everybody involved? You know, the, the comments that are happening on social media, the impact on trainers' lives. People are leaving, you know, people are leaving the dog training job or community or industry because of just these trainer wars. You see it happen all the time. It's really sad to see that. Uh, so think about the impact. So that's number one. Let's get rid of the labels. Number two is reach across the aisles. Like, let's let's get, you know, if you have a podcast, if you have, um, well, it doesn't matter, you know, have an article written by somebody or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be about tools. It could be about a million other things, you know, and, you know, it doesn't have to get into the tool aspect or even so much the training aspect. Sometimes there's so much good that can be um, learned from, um all aspects of training, right? So that'd be probably my number two is just like reach across, collaborate, you know, open the doors. And the third thing is just the kindness aspect in our communications. Um, I think that should be a skill set for every human to learn, but especially dog trainers. It should be the one of the first things besides, you know, teaching a dog how to sit. It's like how to talk to people because you're going to be talking to people <laughs> when you have clients. You know, you have to know how to navigate conversations in an empathetic yeah. and kind way. And then you have to do that with your peers and colleagues if we're going to make changes in the industry. It's just, yeah, it's it's so, so important and crucial. So I think those are three really important ways to just start and um, 
you know, and I'm a uh, shout out to all of, you know, everybody who's doing that already, you know, he's seeing a nice you know, amount of people doing that. So it's great to see that, but we need a lot more of it, especially in some, some channels like TikTok and Instagram, you see more training wars than some other platforms. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good way to wrap things up. And, um, you know, we, we need to, uh, we're going to do this. On three, we're going to attempt with Mike here. Oh, we're going to attempt to say dismissed because so it's becoming a running theme at the end of every show. We try and say class dismissed and someone is always off because their sound is delayed or whatever. <laughs> so we're going to tonight. I'm telling you, I feel it. I can feel it tonight. <laughs> everyone's going to freaking say it at the same time. I'm telling you straight. What are we saying? <laughs> well, I have to we're say not saying anything. Last dismissed, we're going to say. Uh, we're going to make an right. attempt. So on three, all right? <laughs> One, two, three. Class, Class dismissed. There we go. Wow, perfect. Horrible. Wow. Close enough. Wow. Horrible. We'll take it. We'll take it. All right. Well, Mike, Good thank enough. you so much for, for showing up and, and chatting with us. Really great to have you on here and to to see your face and, and all that stuff. So thank you so much. Um, tell everyone where they can find you, uh, website, social media, et cetera. I appreciate you guys. Uh, it was great chatting with you all for sure. This is a great topic. Um, they can find me at aggressivedog.com and that's where I have all my stuff. So head on over there. You can find um, all my social media links, courses, webinars, podcasts. Um, yeah, that's it. That's the easiest way. It's the central way. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Canine Classroom. If you like the show, make sure to smack that like button, share the show with your friends, and give us a rating. Until next time, class dismissed. Bye.